here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Amen. <clears throat> Don't have to wait till we get to heaven, but here, here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. What a, an awesome introduction musically to where we need to be today. Find your way to the book of Acts, will you please, one more Sunday. The book of Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> We'll just read verse 8. We've spent a lot of time in the week's previous reading and rereading the background for Jesus' words. But notice what he says, Acts 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. Now mark that little phrase, in all Judea and Samaria. We'll come back to that a little later. And even to the remotest part of the earth. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. My witnesses, you, you, will, you will bear witness of me as a result of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I, don't, I, don't, um, I don't want to make anybody uneasy this morning or, or get anybody just outright mad. Um, so I, I want to I say this with, with, I hope, just real love in my heart, but a concern for the church. A church with a capital C, a big, big church, worldwide church in our day, in our, in our generation. Why is it that very seldom or perhaps not often enough within the organized church there is any significant time spent on or reference to this matter of the necessity of the Christian being filled with the Holy Spirit. Why, why isn't that ever talked about? Now, in some quarters it is, but it can seem as if by far and large, there's, it's a subject in the Bible. We, we, we acknowledge that it's there, but we, we just sort of treat it as if that was then and this is now. I wonder why there, there is so little emphasis that, that is even close to the emphasis that Jesus gave it, that Christians are not going to be able to do the assignment of the Lord in our generation unless we are filled with the Spirit of Jesus, not just copying His example, not just studying His Word but literally, actually saturated, filled. As John would say, here's how you'll know you've met the Messiah. He will be able to baptize you with his spirit and with fire. Here, here's, here's part of the reason, maybe not the whole reason, but a, here's what happens when the spirit of Jesus fills you. You become singularly loyal 
to Jesus. Now take that the next step. You're not going to be singularly loyal to a denomination. Hello. You're not going to be singularly loyal to a particular church or a particularly particular pastor. You're going to be singularly loyal to Jesus. It, you, you can't help it. it it's, it's a function of the power of the Spirit working in you. He says, you, not you might be or you could be, but you will be witnesses of me. Now, now he, he said that to a group of folks that had seen him die on the cross for their sins. They had seen that. We, we have to imagine what that looked like. We, we, by faith, accept that it was true. They saw him dying on the cross. That They knew where he was buried. They saw him alive and in front of them saying these very words. That they, they had... They had so much more firsthand knowledge of Jesus than we do. That their energy to express the truth of who he was and his love for the human race and the miraculous nature of, of his works, his power, they could have testified to. But Jesus still said to them, it's not enough for you to know what I did. It's not enough for you to know what I said. It's not enough for you that I know that I'm resurrected. You are going to need more power than the information about my life, about what I did. You're going to need power. And when that power comes upon you, here is the result of it. You will be my witnesses. You will be witnesses that belong to me. You will be witnesses that have as the focus of their declaration me and who I am. I, I talk to folks, some of you are probably listening in this room and maybe scattered around the world, wherever you may be today. But you find yourselves at times disillusioned with the church because it can, it can seem as if it's good and it's in the right direction and the words are right and enjoy the people. But something inside you aches for in others and in a setting for just a loyalty to Jesus. You don't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be full of all kinds of expressions of it. Just Jesus. And so there have been times when maybe you found yourself not seeing why some folks are so excited about this particular place or this particular group. And it's not that you want to be found judging anybody. It's just that you don't feel his presence there. You don't feel his presence. Like words, songs, preaching. But there's just not much being made, it seems like, about the real Jesus. And you ache for that. You ache for that. You ache for that. You ache for that. Folks, you're not crazy. 
You, he, he owns you. He bought you. He loves you. He bought you because he loves you. And he is jealous over you. Jehovah Kana, the Lord who is jealous over us. Not in a, not in a um, desire to try to imprison us and stifle us and keep us away from blessing, but just because he, like a husband, would be jealously guarding and interested in his wife and the wife of a husband it's the right kind of jealousy. It's a godly kind of jealousy. He knows that he's the only one who won't disappoint. Churches are bound to disappoint in time because they're made up of people. And we'd, we'd, we hadn't gotten the junk off of us and our, and our head on straight. That won't happen until we get to glory. He's the only one that will not disappoint. And he's the only one worthy of our singular loyalty, our singular loyalty. Instead of saying, I'm this denomination, or I'm that denomination, or I go to this church, or I'm a member of that church, it just really ought to be, you know, right now, uh, my church home is over here, but I'm a Jesus follower. I'm I'm not this denomination and then a little bit of Jesus. I'm great big Jesus and little bitty denomination. <laughs> well, you can imagine when I go up and get off talk that, that with preachers, I, they, they don't clap and they don't respond. They, many will that, that will just understand this is the truth. But when we're trying to build our things called churches, where it's an ingrown organization and it's all about how, how good we can be and how right we are and how we got the best thing going on in town and, and all of that baloney. The, 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 you, you, can, you can fill up pews with folks who haven't necessarily known what it is to be filled with his spirit, but you're not going to get a bunch of folks there and keep them very long Filled with the Spirit, because filled with the Spirit means there's a singular loyalty to Jesus. Case in point, why why didn't the Lord let the church in Jerusalem just keep on blowing up? Day of Pentecost, 3,000 get saved. A few days later, 5,000 more. Silver and gold have I none, such as I have give unto thee. Crowd gathers. Man's walking and leaping, praising God. Peter gets up and preaches. 5,000 more come and know the Lord. In the days that followed, they quit using addition, and they used, started to use the word multitudes, multiplying. is because it was happening so fast they couldn't count them. Said even at some point along the way, many priests were coming to know the Lord. This thing called the church, this ecclesia, the called out ones, the followers of Jesus, they were like they were just taking over Jerusalem in the very place where Jesus had been crucified. It didn't mean that everybody was loving this, everybody was believing in Jesus. There was a hotbed of deep-seated hatred for Jesus. And, and as time went on, the seven deacons were selected, two of the seven Young men, one of them, Stephen, entered into a public debate, evidently, with a group of Jewish men, the the synagogue of the freedmen. The the scripture records that he he was so bold, but he was also so sharp scripturally. 
He was so clear with his reason that they could not compete with him. So what they did when they couldn't compete with him, they just got mad. And they got so mad that they started picking up stones. Saul of Tarsus was there who held the clothes of the one who ended up stoning Stephen. I want you to find chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, verse, verse 1. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, Stephen, to death. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Now, what had Jesus said? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. He just didn't tell them the motivation to get to Judea and Samaria was going to be persecution in Jerusalem. But he saw it prophetically. He pronounced it upon the church. <laughs> You're going to get to Judea and Samaria one day. And it's also interesting that that uttermost part of the earth is also referenced here because Saul is mentioned. Saul, who became Paul, was known as the apostle to the Gentiles. Isn't that something? Saul's ravaging the church. Persecution breaks out. The church scatters to save their lives into Judea and Samaria, not their home turf, not where they normally would have been. And Saul was a part of the persecution, but he just hadn't been to Damascus yet. And he was going to be interrupted on the way to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Oh, folks, listen. The Lord is concerned about our loyalty just to him. Estimates are that the Jerusalem church might have been upwards of 50,000, 60,000 brand new converts in Jerusalem. Some will say upwards even of 100 or maybe 150,000 in Jerusalem proper before the persecution around Stephen's time. Why wouldn't the Lord just let them keep going? Why wouldn't he just let the church just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger in Jerusalem? Don't know this for sure. But folks, what if... It was because it was getting so big. What if it was because everyone, it seemed like, was becoming a part of the church? It was the social place to be. It was the social thing to do. We've got numbers now. We've got strength. The problem can be our trust, can be in our numbers. Our trust can be in our buildings. Our trust can be in our staff. Our trust can be in our offerings. Our trust can be in this. And somewhere way on down the line is, oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit is an important part of this. The Lord himself allowed the church of Jerusalem to be blown up, to be scattered. And it could very well have been because he was concerned that the people in the church not begin to trust the church. Now begin to trust the security, the stability, but that their focus 
would be upon Jesus, upon Jesus, upon Jesus. I'm not backing off of that. I'm not backing away. It's fine when churches get big, but if churches get big to the point where the trust is in the church, well, I'm in that church, and this is my pastor, and this is my denomination, and this is what we do. Look out. Who's bragging on Jesus? Who's bragging on what he's done lately? Who's bragging on the power of his blood? Who's bragging on the power of his spirit to set a captive free? Now, if that ends up being thousands and thousands and thousands, great. But if at the core of it, the heart of the Savior, jealous for his people, is that I want you not to trust in something that is destined to disappoint you, I want your trust to be in me. So when we pray, Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Expect that one of the functions of being filled with the spirit is there will be a singular loyalty to Jesus. It it, it doesn't mean that you won't connect with church, but your trust is not in the church to fix your kids or to fix your family or even to fix your life. It is only by the power of the living Jesus that those things can happen. And he desires to do it and he will do it. Lord, fill me. Jesus, fill me. That's why these last few months we've been talking about those two prayers that can change everything. The first one is Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Save me from my sins on the basis of your blood. I trust your forgiveness to have ransomed me from Satan's control over my life. You paid the debt that I had because of the sin in my life. With your blood, you died. You paid that. So I'm free from Satan. I'm forgiven of my sins because of what you did on the cross. I'm forgiven my, my home is in heaven. I, 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 have a, I have a seat at the Father's table. But that's not the only time I'm going to need you to save me, Lord. It's not just my sins. The devil roams about seeking whom he may devour. Lord, rescue me. It's interesting that in the same place where Jesus taught, come thy kingdom, and we've spoken of that, is that the filling of the Spirit, that the Spirit would fill us, the Spirit of the King would fill us. It's not just but a few lines later that Jesus also said, here's how you also need to pray. Deliver us from the evil one. Listen, the devil doesn't worry about a lot of folks who would claim the name Christian because we can be no threat to him. We're just silent whatever we are. We, we, we're going to heaven, but, but there, there's, there's nothing coming out of us. No, we're not rattling anybody's cage. We're not stirring any, any boat up. So there's no threat to the enemy. But when you pray, <laughs> Lord, fill me with your spirit. I'm not just trying to copy people. Lord, if it's possible for you to fill me with your very self-same spirit, as you talked about in the Bible that you would do, I'm asking you to fill me. Then just go on notice that when the devil starts noticing a change in your life, a change in your direction, a change in your focus, then there may be some attempt from him to try to discourage, to, to distract, to defeat, even to 
kill, and destroy. And when those things begin to come, once we've learned that I have the right to pray, Lord, fill me, and he does fill me with fresh faith and with fresh joy, even in the midst of a storm, when the enemy starts to hit or we see the threats coming, our prayers, instead of Instead of focusing on, oh, God, have mercy, I'm, I'm, I'm scared to death, I, 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 help me here because I, I don't know what I'm going to Instead of that, it's just, Lord, fill me. Fill me with your spirit so that I'll be able to see again with your perspective, that I'll be able to understand that all authority has been given to you in heaven and on this earth, that there's no name above the name, equal to or above the name of Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. Fill me, Jesus. But folks, again, and I, I just have to say this. I, there's some folks that you can talk about this, and, and it sounds good, but it, won't, it will not drop 18 inches. It, it just will not go from the head to the heart because things are too easy. Things are too smooth. Nobody's mad at you. You don't lack anything. You know, everybody thinks you're just great. The, that, that, that's not where the filling, this good news of the filling, means anything. Amen. You're in a tough marriage. You're in a tough job. You got a family line that, that is as crazy and as pagan or as godless as anything that could be named. You, you, you've got medical issues. You, you've got community issues. You, you've got things coming at you and weighing down on you that can cause you to feel weak on a regular, daily, sometimes minute-by-minute basis. To you, this news about the Lord being willing to fill you up right where you are with His Spirit not meaning you've got to change or go somewhere else or become take on a new name or move to another country, but right where you are, right in the middle of where you're living. For the conquering Christ to pour forth his spirit, to fill you up with his love and his joy and his peace and his patience and his goodness and his kindness and his gentleness and his self-control, to fill you up with such a loyalty to Jesus that you would know it wouldn't matter if Everybody who hates you stayed that way to the day of, your, of their death and your death. There is one who is beyond anything they could ever be, individually or cumulatively, who loves me. He bought me. I belong to him. I am his cherished position. Now, folks, I can say that to you, but until the Spirit of God burns that in your heart, you won't really know it. But the backdrop for knowing it is the place of knowing and feeling not loved and feeling rejected and feeling inadequate and feeling afraid to try again because we know we've failed so many times before. That's the very place. That's the very place. That was this early church. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill me. If they were going to get up and open their mouths and bear witness of Jesus in Jerusalem, in the place where they had seen Christ crucified, and where there would be, it was, it was a frightening thing even to be identified as someone who knew Jesus in a positive sense. For them to be able to step out into that arena and be able to say, I love Jesus, I trust Jesus, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is Lord, for them to be able to do that, 
It was unthinkable apart from power that they didn't have before. So they wanted to give it to you. Say that, say that again. These, these surprising abilities that come upon us as the Spirit fills us, one of them is, the first one is, a loyalty to Jesus. Now you may sense his presence in a mainline church, in a denominational church. You may not, you may be drawn to some place that is that seems to be out off the beaten path religiously or spiritually. But it won't matter to you. Do you hear me? It won't matter to you what church you're not a part of or what group you are a part of. All that will matter to you is the sense of loyalty to Jesus. Go with that in your heart, child of God. That will not disappoint you. That will not fail you. But you stay locked into some system, some group, and this because that's what you've always been. It may die around you. It may dry up around you. But he loves you, and he's calling you. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. All right, I want you to, if you would, go with me to um, Acts 3 and verse um, 6 again. Acts 3 and verse 6. Where we work in some of these verses, we've been over a little bit, but I'm just praying that 18-inch drop will gather force and velocity as we spend time with this. We're talking about surprising abilities that you never had before prior to being filled with the Spirit. That how could there ever be something more important to you than fitting in with the tradition, the religious tradition that you always grew up with. Now, if, un, until there is something to compete with that in your heart, the change may never come. And I'm not saying that what the traditions have been when they've been godly traditions have not been good things. But even with that being said, even, even with the loyalties remaining or, the, or the, the, the structural positioning remaining the same, as the Spirit fills you, the proper perspective is set. It's Jesus first. It's Jesus first. And then these other things and other places and other setups. So loyalty that you may have never had before for the person of Jesus. Here's, a, here's, here's some, something else to think about. Verse 6, Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold to the man who was born lame, lame from his mother's womb, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Now look down at verse 16. The man was healed. The man got up walking and leaping and praising God, moved into the temple. The crowd gathers, and Peter is explaining what went on, where the power to heal the man came from. So he says, and on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through faith 
come, which faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. That last clause, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter says it's faith in his name that resulted in the healing. But where did the faith come from? Where did the ability to believe come from? As we talked about, faith means to be persuaded of something. Where was the ability to be persuaded that Jesus would heal the man? Where did that come from? Romans 10, 17 says this. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing comes from the word of Christ. The word of Christ spoken is something to be heard. That which has been heard results in the ability to believe. That which has been heard has the power to persuade the one who's listening. So in other words, Peter is saying, the faith which strengthened this man came from Jesus. So what happened was that somewhere along the line, Simon Peter heard something. He heard the Lord speak something to his heart that resulted in specific faith. He was persuaded of something, not generally, but something specifically, that it was the will of Jesus for this man to be made well. He heard it. Peter believed it. He spoke it, and he participated in the supernatural. Now, folks, I want to say this to you, please. My brothers and my sisters, what God did with Peter in this case, the Lord can do with you. Paul will say the natural man doesn't have the equipment to pick up on the frequencies of the Spirit. He's dead to those things. But when someone has come to know Christ, when Jesus comes to live within and your spirit comes to life, you have the ability to begin then to hear what the Lord would say. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Let me say that again. My sheep hear present tense. Not will hear, did my sheep hear my voice? And I know them, and they follow me. This was a fulfillment of what Jesus had said in John 10. Jesus spoke something to Peter. He heard it. And as a result of what he heard, he believed. The ability to believe came from what Jesus had said. So folks, listen. If you find yourself sometime prone to beat yourself up, why can't I believe? Why can't I believe? There's all this stuff. Why can't I believe? All the Lord's brought me through, and I still have struggle. I still can't be settled down. As long as we're staring within ourselves, we are looking in the wrong direction. 
There's never going to be any help if you beat yourself up by why I haven't done this and why I don't do that and why I can't keep up with, with this standard that I know ought to live. As long as we're looking for ourselves, looking to ourselves, for the strength to do something that only God can give us the ability to do, we are wasting our time. It can seem like it's, it's a cathartic experience, cathartic experience you know, where we're, we're just kind of letting all this out. I'm miserable. I'm sorry. I can't do anything. I have no hope for me. It's just I could never be like what Peter was. And that's where we stay. Instead of the response being, Lord, I saw what you did through Peter. And evidently it came because you spoke something to him and he had the ability to believe. And then he acted upon what he knew to be true because you had convinced him. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit. So that when I'm in situations like that, and you have something you want to say to me, then I'll know I can hear. And I'll understand that you do speak to your children. And from there, faith rises. The ability to believe. As we said last week, Peter Probably walked by this guy many times. Lord didn't say a thing. In and out of the temple, maybe many times. This man had been laying there for decades, years. He was, he was just a fixture among the poor, begging arms. Arms of the people came through. The Lord hadn't said anything to Peter. But on this day, the Lord spoke to Peter. If Peter had gone out and just said, you know, I've seen the Lord heal people and, and, and you're sick or you're infirmed and so I'm just going to kind of on the basis of what I've seen Jesus just, just say, you know, this might be something that, that I might try here in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That wasn't it. It was specific. He said, look at us. Look at us. And as the man looked, I believe Peter was still listening. Lord, what next? And the Lord gave him the sin. This is, this is what I want to do. You reach out and you take that man by the hand and you raise him up. How did, how did Peter know to do that? Some way or another he was told. You raise him up, but you do it in my name. In my name. Folks, when we're growing weak in faith, and we're growing weak in loyalty, okay? Loyalty to Jesus. Other things start competing. Then it can mean that some way or another, we've lost the sense of who Jesus really is. He's not a name on a t-shirt with a period. He, he, he's represented by that. But we can get so familiar as church-going people with the name of Jesus, it has no magic for us. It's just another name. It's just another five-letter word in the Bible. But the working of the Spirit, when you pray, Lord, fill me, the filling of the Spirit will make that Jesus real to you. Real to you. He's not just a name in the Bible. He is real, and you feel his presence, and you go in his power as he gives you instruction to do. So as, I sit there, as you sit and listen to this, and you would have to say, I've got to, I have to admit that the, I know the name Jesus. But as far as that really being the single most powerful name in my life right now, 
I got to tell you, preacher, it isn't. The most powerful name in my life right now is a boss or is, is a lawyer who's after you. Or what. Instead of beating yourself up, why can't I get this right? The response from the scripture, the right place to be is Jesus, fill me. Fill me with a fresh revelation of who you really are. The Apostle Paul, at the apex of his personal walk with the Lord, Philippians 3.10, he makes this statement, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. It meant I came to know him on the Damascus Road, but, but since then, the cry of my heart is, to know you better, Lord, to know you more, Lord, to know you better. Because the more you know him, the more confident you're going to be of his authority. And the more confident you are of his authority, the more confident you are in your life to step forward in his authority. It all goes back to how big is Jesus to you right now? How big? Now, I'm not talking theoretical. I'm not talking quoting Philippians 2. I'm talking to you right now, where you are, where we live, the size of Jesus, the strength of Jesus, where there's a diminishing, and, and, and the Lord knows that can happen with all the things that can press in upon us, in, in especially in this generation. Lord, don't let me lose the sight of who really is in charge. Lord, don't let me give up because some lesser authority has usurped some of your authority temporarily. I need you to fill me with a fresh revelation of who you are. Nobody can pray that for you. This prayer in, Paul wrote down in Ephesians chapter 1 is an amazing series of statements. He, he says in verse 15 that, that he has heard of the faith in the Lord, that Lord Jesus exists among them. And he, he gives thanks every time that he thinks of them. But then here's, here's his prayer for the church in Ephesus. And it's passed down all these generations, centuries to us. I pray that, the verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And the word there means true knowledge, genuine knowledge, proven solid knowledge, not just casual information about him. I pray that the Lord, the Father would give you a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation, a spirit of revelation, meaning that the veil would be pulled back, the curtains would be parted so you can see. Now, folks, it's an amazing thing. Paul is writing that. Even as he's writing letters to these New Testament churches, he's giving them something to look at, ink on paper. But it's as if he's saying, the ink on paper can only take your understanding so far. The Lord has to give you, the Lord desires to give you his spirit of revelation so that you will have a clearer understanding. Look at it again. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be flooded with light, enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, 
What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? In other words, I can write about those things. I can list those items. But unless the Spirit of the Lord shows those to you, enables you to see them, you won't see them. So I'm praying, God, will you take it beyond the impact of my my pen on paper. And will you open the eyes of your people? Show them who they are. Show them your love for them. Show them your power. Show them your power directed toward them. Isn't that something? Now, folks, listen. Paul is saying you're not going to get it all just from studying and exegeting, parsing and declining all of the nouns and all of the verbs in the book of Ephesians. You can gain some knowledge. You can gather some grounding. But there's another whole dimension of what the Lord wants you to know about him that surpasses anything that could be written on page. And I'm praying God will flood your eyes with light. You cause your heart to burn with the knowledge and the understanding of his power directed towards you. Amen. Amen. And we let that in. We let that in. Lord, you would fill me with your spirit so that I may be your witnesses. Be your witness. A witness that is loyal to Jesus. A witness who hears the heart of God for a situation, who on the basis of that hearing has the ability now to believe for something that you've never had the power to believe God for. You, you, you always wanted folks to come to know the Lord in your family. You always wanted maybe your company to be changed or something in your profession to, to open up for you. But, but it, it, you didn't really have the ability to believe, you just hoped in a general sense. But when we're praying and we're open, Lord, what is your heart? And understanding he can speak to you. And as he pulls a verse off off the scripture, off the pages of scripture, it burns in your heart, or there's just a sense in your your spirit that he's spoken, you've heard his voice, it's been confirmed. And as faith rises up in your heart, a person that has been lost all the days of your life, never known Christ, godless, pagan, they've been that way as long as you've been walking this earth. But because now you've heard something such as, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Somehow that verse out of Peter jumps off and it seems to have the face of your uncle or the face of your loved one or friend or old friend all over it. And strangely, (laughs) but awesomely, faith begins to rise in your heart on the basis of what the Lord spoke to you, that every time you see that man coming in, in your spirit, it's just bring it, Jesus. 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 You never had that before. It's an ability to believe that you never had before. But now seeking the filling of the Spirit and then sensing that the Lord has spoken something to you, the ability to believe rises up. 
It can happen professionally. It can happen with your job. It can happen in the, the major categories of our lives. That when the Lord speaks, there's faith. And where there is faith, there is the expectation that what God said he's going to do, he's going to do. It's no stress on you. It's just agreeing with what he wants to do. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. I'm done. Now, where that, where that settles in and to whom it settles in on, that's the Lord's business. But those two prayers can change everything. Lord, save me. Lord, rescue me. Lord, deliver me. The devil roams about like a roaring lion seeking who may devour Lord, rescue me. Lord, save me. Lord, deliver me. But did Jesus fill me? It's amazing that Jesus didn't send the church out after he had finished going over the kingdom for 40 days. He'd given them information and instruction and insight like they had never heard before. But he says, you wait until you get something that you don't have right now. And that is my power to enable you to be a loyal eyewitness of me. To be able without fear, without hesitation, tell folks what I've done for you. Not talk of God in general or religion in general, but Jesus. Jesus. Jesus did this for me. Jesus is working in my life. Jesus is setting me free. Jesus has forgiven me. Jesus has given me a new direction. Jesus, Jesus, that loyalty to Jesus, that loyalty to Jesus, that loyalty to Jesus is a function of being filled with the Spirit. So just understand that as the Lord fills you, the tightness of other allegiances may begin to diminish. It doesn't mean that you don't love them. It doesn't mean that you don't appreciate and respect the past and what you've been taught. It just means that that allegiance does not identify you. That allegiance does not own you. That allegiance. I'm loyal to him. And, And that doesn't mean we run around condemning and judging. It just means we walk as free people. That's the, you know, that's the thing. About, about Peter and John, I think when those, when those men were called in, in Acts 4 and they, and they said that they just were blown away by the boldness of these young men, uneducated and untrained, part of that was they, they were blown away by the freedom of those guys. That even though the Sanhedrin was trying to leverage all of their intimidation down one funnel spout right on top of their head, we're going to have you for supper. It was just like this, well, what else you got? All we know is there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Speak no more in this name of Jesus. You have to do what is right in the sight of God, but as far as we're concerned, we can't stop speaking what we've seen and heard.
the power that drives us forward to open our mouths to declare the truth, the power that presses us to declare is greater than your power to tell us to shut up. We, we don't have the power to stop this power inside us. We are hopelessly, wonderfully captive to Jesus. I woke up this morning with two faces of old friends working through my mind. You've had that sometimes, I guess. But I was thinking about this matter of filled with the Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus. One of them was a young man you've heard me talk about. This is, you know, 55 years ago when I walked with him. He ran the, a lot of the drug deals in our part of Houston. Shepherd Drive and Ella Boulevard and 43rd and 34th. He was just known as a mess. He gets saved. <laughs> he just surf context, Padre Island. Guy comes through a restaurant, passes out tracks. He comes back home, gets in his shower, and he says, God, I don't even know if you're real, but if you're real, help me. And he said, at that moment, I heard a voice, and I would say, Ross, is it? Audible, or was it? He said, I don't know, but I heard a voice. I am the Lord Jesus Christ, and I have come to set you free from all of the poisons that are in you and that have been put in you. He knew it, he heard it in the way that he could hear it. He walked out of that shower, and the change, the dramatic, change of going from captive to free man was set in place. When I look back across the images of Ross's face and some pictures that I have, I don't see a scowl on his face. I, 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 don't, I don't sense a heavy burden. I just see bright eyes and a smile, and joy, and authority, and freedom. I couldn't get enough of the guy. I, I mean, I knew, it seemed like when I was around him, he got more Bible in him in six months than I'd had stuffed in me in 15 years. He just, he was just soaking it in, and soaking it in, and soaking it in, and to where it used to, you poke him, and he'd cuss for 30 minutes. Now you poke him, and then John 3, 16 would come out, or 23rd Psalm would come out, or Romans 8, 28 would come out. It was uncanny, the change, but it was always about what Jesus had done and was doing in his life. 
the joy that he sensed as, as, he, as, was, as if he, he was locked on to Jesus. It wasn't condemnation. It wasn't, it wasn't beaten down. It was that he's forgiven me. He loves me. He's full of joy, and his joy is in me. And I'd walk with him. We, you know, we made that commitment to go witness on the streets of Houston. And y'all have heard me tell this story. And I'd walk with him sometime down the road. Where in the world are you taking me? Dark, 11 midnight. Drive up on a group of drug deal or something going down. Who knows what was happening? Without, without any hesitation, without any, and I'm back there just praying, oh Jesus, send the angels. I need about 40 of them right here, drawn swords. He was seeing some security that I wasn't seeing, but he just walked right up into the middle of me. He's a short guy, and he'd just start looking into, up into the circle of the faces like that. And he would say, I just want to tell you, I used to be doing exactly what you're doing. I used to have hair down to here like some of you all have hair down to here. But he said, I'm telling you, Jesus. And that's all he's speaking. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is real, and Jesus came into my heart, and Jesus has set me free. More times than, than, than not, there would be, it wouldn't be the whole group, kind of bust the group up, but there'd be one or two or three that would say, can you tell me some more? And we would be standing under street lights out in front of 7-Elevens in Houston, Texas, late at night, Praying through, praying to receive Jesus with some guys and some folks because this witness owned his loyalty was to Jesus. Knowing that the heaven was open before him, he wasn't fearing the judgment of God. That judgment had been taken care of for him at the cross. He was free. He was forgiven. He was loved. And the one whom he's following has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he's told us to go and make disciples. So off we went. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Amen. 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 So I would want to be around him not feeling condemned by him, but just because I was wanting some more of what it was that he had. Led me to pray, Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Like you fill Ross. I'm a preacher's kid. Third generation. Been in church, you know, didn't have a choice. I was there in the nursery probably before. But that old saved drug addict had something in his relationship with Jesus that I had read about, but it hadn't done the 18-inch drop. He created a thirst in me. Lord, fill me. If, if, if that's all this is doing for some of you, as you're listening, wherever you are around the world, if this is doing nothing other than create a thirst in your heart, it's been well worth the time. Jesus, fill me. Jesus, fill me. Don't expect that everybody in a religious establishment is going to just be thrilled to death with it. Don't, don't expect that this newfound sense of freedom to go where you sense the Lord is leading you is always going to be understood by people who have walked with you and who have known you before. They didn't die for you. They didn't lay everything down for you to be set free. Amen. He did. 
And I believe sometimes, <laughs> Lord, I hope this isn't sacrilegious. I hope it isn't what I'm about to say. But sometimes I almost feel like the Lord does that. And then he walks. And then he walks. There's nothing boring. There's nothing boring about him. There's nothing stodgy, st stuffy, or stodgy about him. He is adventure on steroids. Do you hear me? <laughs> to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit. He said, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. They're going to be like a leaf blown in the wind. You don't know where the wind is coming from, and you don't know where the wind is going to. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Thank you, Pastor. Mm. Good, Pastor. Amen. Let me ask you to stand with me. And I want you all to take a picture. I want to take your phone out, and I want you to take a picture of your watch. Screenshot 12:24 p.m. 12:24. This hadn't happened since the Earth's crust hardened. I guarantee you that we. But maybe there's somebody that we need to get loose from here. Somebody that's going to wait a table for us. Somebody that's going to be that we'll run into at a gas station. And the Lord, Lord will prompt say something to him. Well, what do I say, Lord? You tell him I love him. You tell them it's not over for them. You tell them what I did for you, I can do for them. And you get ready to pray for them. You mean the Lord can talk to us like that? In the ways that you and I can get it, unique to us, he knows how to speak to you. And just look for the wink. Trust me. You can trust me. Lord, would you take this where it needs to go? Would you take this where it needs to go? Fill your church with your spirit, Lord. Do with us as you did with them in Acts. We're not asking you to change our geography. We're not asking you to change our personality. We're not asking you to change our shoe size or our eye color. But what we are asking for you to do is to change and take away the fear, the hesitation, the sense of condemnation, those things that can just shut us down and back us away. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your spirit as you said you would. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. And amen.